Burning Zozo Written by Kristen Knight Narrated by Nancy Peterson From above, the Vegas Strip shone like a glittering tree reclining on the desert floor, heavy with shimmering jeweled fruit. Stomachs flip-flopped as Chen dove into the city, then landed on the roof of a tall, gold-glass hotel. A woman in a white suit rushed onto the helipad as Arius emerged from the chopper. Bobby, how are you? Adams shook the woman's hand. Good to see you again, Mr. Adams. Arius, please. Everything's ready for you. We've prepared the penthouse as usual. Perfect, he said. Bobby, this is my team, Andy Scoggin and Jonathan Chen. The woman reached for Chen's hand, and then Andy's, shaking it once like she was important enough to know. Pleasure. The massive penthouse included 30-foot ceilings, blown glass chandeliers, and mink-covered chairs. One entire wall was a built-in aquarium, filled with a carpet of anemones and schools of feathery pink fish. A great white shark swam back and forth against the glass, tracking the trio with his dead, lidless eyes. Chen uncovered a chafing dish on a nearby table. Looks like lunch is ready, shall we? Both Chen and Andy sat with their backs to the shark so they wouldn't have to see his hungry gaze while they ate. Arius, on the other hand, took a seat facing the killer. Every so often, he glanced up and watched the beast, assessing him. The food was incredible. Their taste buds exploded with fresh lime ceviche and pork, so tender it cut with a fork. Dessert was caramel custard that melted exactly three seconds after hitting their tongues. Andy counted. They sipped sparkling pear juice with frozen floating raspberries and toasted Elvis, Lady Luck, and Sandra Day O'Connor. After dessert, Andy rubbed her hands on her jeans and asked, Um... What time is the meeting? Adams checked his watch. Three o'clock. I hate to be a pain, Mr. Adams, but... Arius, please. Sorry. Right. Arius. She paused. I'm not really dressed for a business meeting. He took a bite of dessert and let it linger on his tongue. Mmm. He swallowed. Yes, well, we've got that covered. Don't we, Chen? Chen nodded and poured another glass of juice. At 1.28 p.m., a woman named Gigi took Andy downstairs to a private salon. She'd been given specific instructions from Adams that included changing Andy's non-committal dishwater hair color and a full makeup. Gigi used an airbrush to apply the makeup, then glued on eyelash extensions. When Andy's face and hair were done, Gigi fitted her in a red designer suit and high heels with red soles. There, Gigi said, running a lint roller down Andy's back. You're a new woman. When Andy finally got a good look at herself, she didn't recognize the person looking back. Fat waves of golden blonde hair cascaded over her shoulders, and her newly fringed eyes looked twice their normal size. You look like Veronica Lake, you know, Gigi said, smiling. Andy didn't know who that was. Or Gwen Stefani. 
She knew who that was. Gigi placed her hands on Andy's shoulders and said sweetly, Did you know there was a stunning beauty hidden inside, just waiting to get out? Andy shook her head. You look ready for anything. Andy gazed at herself in the mirror and considered if Gigi was right. Gigi gave Andy a bag filled with hair products and makeup and sent her back upstairs. She peered at her own reflection in the mirrored walls of the elevator and realized that if the person in the mirror went to pick up Emma from a nap, the baby wouldn't even know who she was. She fished the glasses from her purse and eased them on. There, better, she said. The elevator opened onto the penthouse where Arius stood at the conference table, paper in hand. He looked up at Andy, then didn't move or speak. He just stared, trying to reconcile what and who he saw for too long. Andy nervously scanned the room for Chen. Reading her expression perfectly, Adam said slowly, Chen's gone to another meeting for me on the edge of town. He'll be back in a few hours. Then he cleared his throat and looked at the papers in his hand. Come, uh, Andy, let's start prepping for the meeting. Arius put Andy to work, assembling the deal papers and placing them in black leather folders. The top paper showed photos of a casino hotel with a list of numbers, like square footage, projected revenue, something called overhead. Beneath the photos was a pricing sheet. The number, $750 million, was printed in bold emerald green at the bottom. Andy recounted the zeros, then tried not to cough when she realized she'd read it right the first time. Below that were four copies of a contract. Will you take me through it? Teach me? Through what? Arius said, preoccupied with an email on his phone. The contract. Arius checked his ebony watch, then her eager, familiar eyes, and said, All right, can't hurt, I suppose we have time. He sat next to Andy, slid her a folder, and opened his own. Today we'll be negotiating a purchase and lease-back agreement. In simple terms, that means the property owners are selling me their hotel, then I'll be renting it back to them to manage. Why would they do that? Because they're in trouble, on the verge of bankruptcy, or worse. It's an ideal play for me because I can purchase the property at a discount and have an immediate tenant, instant return on my investment. Some people say I'm taking advantage with these kinds of deals. I've even been called a parasite before. But I'm actually rescuing the seller during a very difficult time, usually when they're at their lowest point, and no one else has offered to save them. He turned to the table of contents and pulled out a pen. Andy did the same. The pages read, one, dates, two, parties, three, definitions, four, terms of the deal, five, liability, six, arbitration, seven, termination. My contracts always begin with the dates and duration of the contract, the names of the parties involved, then a list of definitions. A glossary? Andy had seen the same format on contracts at Hansen and Schmidt. Yes. Then the next section, and most important, is terms of the deal. It's the rules of the game, if you will. 
It includes the price, who gets what when, and what happens if either party doesn't do what they say they will. I see. She starred the terms of the deal section with her pen. Although the terms are what you are agreeing to in writing, you should also be very careful what you promise verbally when negotiating. You can actually be bound to a verbal agreement with enough witnesses and the right attorney. Even in court? I've had it happen. Good to know, she said. So liability is next. That's where we lay out who's responsible for taking care of loss or damage if something happens to the property. Andy rolled her pen through her fingers like Gretchen Neves. Next is arbitration. That sets the rules in case there's a fight, right? Arius nodded. Chen was right. She was right. Then we have the termination section. It includes the out clause. One of the most important parts of the deal. Really? Why do you say that? Not all contracts that start with good intentions blossom on the vine. Some rot and decay. So if you need out, you want to be able to control the exit. Make it as painless as possible. Arius sat back in his chair, surprised at how much he was enjoying passing his knowledge onto someone else. Have you had many go bad? Some. And believe me, being trapped in a bad contract feels like slow strangulation. The muscles in his neck tightened and he closed his eyes, especially when it's with someone you trusted. Seeing his discomfort, Andy tried to hold in her questions, but they pushed up like an opening faucet and she blurted, Mr. Adams, are you divorced? Arius sat still for a moment, looking at the contract in front of him and considering how to answer. Finally, he said slowly, Why do you ask? I'm so sorry. It's a bad habit. I can't keep from asking questions I shouldn't. Never mind. It's none of my business. Really, none of my business. What's next? Arius adjusted his chess king cufflinks and cleared his throat. In the end, we finished the contract off with signatures from all parties involved and the notary seal. Many questions? He tapped on the binder. About the contract, I mean. Andy chewed her lip. I guess I still don't know what it is you'd like me to do during the meeting. Why I'm here, exactly. He stood and filled a glass of water while he thought. Basically, he said, I'd like you to be a mirror for them to look into. Give them comforting eyes, a nodding head. In a stressful situation, most people need to see validation of the opinions being presented in someone else's eyes. It helps them know their own mind. That's why I never negotiate a deal over 10 million alone. As I lay up the terms, my team always acts as the mirror, strengthens my ability to close. Can you do that? I can do that. Good, because I hate to lose. He checked his watch. And they'll be here in five minutes. 
At 3.01 p.m., the DeVry family stepped from the elevator. Each dark-haired, slightly sallow family member offered their name along with a dead fish handshake. Their lawyer was a slim man with Harry Potter glasses and a bow tie. He smiled at Arius like a pageant girl, too wide and for too long. Andy invited them to sit at the conference table and served them sparkling water, silver pens, and leather folders. Then Arius began. He took them through each section, spending the most time on how much the DeVries would lease the property for and what happened if they missed a payment. Pageant lawyer asked a lot of questions while the DeVries kept their eyes on the documents. Whenever they looked up, Andy nodded and gave them a close-lipped smile. When Arius got to the arbitration clause, the oldest DeVry, Stephen, adjusted his silver tie and pushed his shoulders back. The contract said that if it came to a fight, the DeVries couldn't take Arius to court. They had to use a professional mediator. No judge, no jury. And they'd have to abide by the mediator's decision, no matter how it came down. Um, hang on, Stephen said. We want to be able to use the full power of the court if we need to. I'm sorry, Stephen, Arius said. I wish I could help you, but I never ink a deal without a mediator clause. I thought I'd made that clear on the phone. Stephen rubbed his water glass with his thumb. Mr. Adams, we prefer to use the court to settle any disputes. Judges and juries are, after all, harder to influence. Arius paused, carefully watching his opponent for tells, then said, Mr. DeVry, are you insinuating that you think I would try to bribe the mediator if we had a dispute? Should I be insulted? The DeVry family tensed. Andy swallowed. Arius calmly gazed at his opponents. No, not you, per se. It's just that... Stephen looked at his family. We've been burned before by mediators. Badly. So you can understand that we're not eager to repeat our own mistakes. Well, I'm sorry. But the clause is non-negotiable, Arius said. With the number of deals I do and companies I run, it's just not practical to allow for anything else. I'm sure you understand. Stephen DeVry looked at his family, then at his lawyer, who was very slowly shaking his head, like he thought Arius couldn't see him. Well then, we'll just have to thank you for your time, Mr. Adams, and say goodbye. As Stephen stood to leave and his family followed, the lawyer let out a small groan, like he'd been punched in the gut. Arius slowly stood, his neck stiffening. That may be, Mr. DeVry, but let's not forget that the bank is ready to foreclose. You will not get a better offer anywhere else, I promise. As a matter of fact, he stood straighter and widened his stance. I can guarantee that no one else will touch it. 
Stephen looked at his family, then back at Arius. Is that a threat, Mr. Adams? Are you actually threatening me in front of my family and my attorney? Arius watched the device, held up a conciliatory hand, and softly said, No, of course not. I just ask that you be realistic and consider for a moment that if you tell me no, I'll just end up buying it from the bank after you lose it in a very messy, inevitable foreclosure. This is just a point of fact. He tapped the leather folder with his index finger as he carefully chose the words for his next argument. Andy sat, spellbound. Think about it. You'll lose the property anyway, and still have to pay a large amount of legal fees. All that money and investment lost forever. So you might as well save yourselves the time, the heartache, and a significant amount of money and sign the deal. He held up a sterling silver pen. Andy mirrored like crazy, smiling, listening, nodding. The DeVries looked at each other and shrugged. One went to sit back down. But Stephen held his ground. Thank you, Mr. Adams, but no. He came around the table and shook Arius's hand, then led his family to the elevator. Arius breathed deep and slow as his hands balled into fists. His jaw clenched over and over in a barely visible rhythm. Andy watched him, her mind racing faster than her heart. Arius. Her Arius was losing. She put her hand on the table and blurted, Wait, what if there's another choice? Arius swung to look at her. Andy. What are you doing? 3.5. Offsides. What if you choose the mediator? Andy ignored Arius's question. If you pick the guy, then you'll be sure to have someone you trust, right? Someone who can't be influenced. The device stopped. Stephen turned and said, is that a real option? We choose. Andy looked to Arius. His brow was smooth, but his jaw still clenched. Yes, he said carefully. If given enough time to check references, I would be open to that option. And you'd put that in writing? Arius nodded once. The oldest de Vry looked at his family, waited for a nod from each, then walked back to the table and sat. Okay, he said. We can live with that. He flipped open his folder. What's next? Everyone in the room exhaled, except Andy. She was now playing scenarios in her mind about how angry Adams would be once the de Vry's left, and what he would do or say to her. After signatures, handshakes, and thank yous were done, and the DeVries were in the elevator, pageant lawyer slid Arius his card and whispered, Look, I know this isn't entirely kosher, but if you ever need another attorney, I'm your man. 
Arius slid the card in his pocket. From behind, Andy watched the brand on Arius's neck bounce above the top of his collar like a winking eye as he nodded, shook hands, and said goodbye. When he finally turned, he looked at Andy with a warped brow. She backed up. Tell me, he said slowly, why did you do that? Um, she cleared her throat, then squared her feet and said, I couldn't help myself. I couldn't let you lose. You couldn't let me lose. That was your motive. Slowly he rubbed his chin. Interesting. She winced. Are you angry? Angry? No. No. In fact, quite the opposite, Andy. I think you may have a natural instinct for negotiation. Perhaps a bit impulsive. But overall, good instincts. I'm sorry for butting in, she said. I should have talked to you first. But I just couldn't bear to see them walk out if there was another, more comprehensive solution. Yes. Well, now you see that contract law is simple at its core. It's a matter of pushing and pulling the right levers, the right motivators. And it's kind of a rush, she smiled. Intoxicating. Arius chuckled. Yes, that's exactly what it feels like. There was one thing that confused me, though. What's that? About 12B. Does this mean that you can take their business if they miss payments, or that they just have to move their business to another building? She pointed to the contract. I take the business. I'm not sure they understood that, she said. Hmm, good catch. I'll review it with their attorney tomorrow, Arius said. On that note... Always make sure the other party understands the terms in a deal. If not, they can claim they're not responsible. Or worse, that you deceived them. Intent matters in court. And if they claim intentional deception, it can be whittled into something more dangerous, like fraud. And fraud can earn you a prison sentence. Okay, thank you, Andy said grinning wide with relief. Now, I have something to take care of for a few hours. Feel free to take a rest. That room is yours, if you'd like. He pointed to the far corner of the penthouse. Andy looked over her shoulder. Oh, thanks. Will we be going home after that? Actually, no. He twisted his watch and looked at it. I have an awards banquet to attend, and I decided to take you along, show you a true Las Vegas experience, reward you for a job well done. He tucked the room keycard in his pocket. I'll have Chen contact your parents to make sure it's all right that you stay late. Oh, um, have him ask for my dad. My mom's probably at work. I'll let Chen know. 
He moved to the elevator doors, stepped inside, smiled gently, and pushed a button. Arius passed Chen in the hotel lobby on his way to a waiting car. How did it go? Chen asked. They signed, Arius said. After a surprising performance by our young lamb, Miss Scoggin. So, she was useful, Chen said. I'm glad to hear it. You were right about her. Arius slid on his mirrored sunglasses and turned to go, then hesitated, his brow pinched. What? Chen asked. What is it? Arius stepped closer and quietly said over his shoulder, Why does she look like her? So much like her. Disturbs me. Chen shook his head. He's screwing with me. That's why, Arius concluded. He chose her for that reason. He doesn't want to let you go, Chen said. You're his right hand. Arius straightened his shoulders. I won't let him win. I'm too close. He pulled down his suit coat and cleared his throat. She seemed to take the news about tonight well. Make sure she's presentable. And just to be safe, have the phones in the room and her cell shut off. Of course, Chen said and pulled out his phone. Thank you, my friend. Arius patted Chen on the arm, then walked to the car. Chen turned his head away so Arius couldn't see the grimace on his face or the way he cradled the arm Arius had touched against his stomach. The penthouse bedroom had two enormous walls of windows overlooking the city. So high up and exposed, even sitting on the bed, Andy felt like she might fall. She gazed at the expanse of glass and neon and the desert beyond, her hands covering her own broad grin. She lay back on the bed, then kicked off her shoes and turned on the TV. She thought back through the afternoon while she watched. After 15 minutes of smiling at the anchor on CNN so hard, her cheeks hurt, she finally relaxed and drifted off to sleep. When she opened her eyes... Warm fingers were tracing the sides of Andy's neck. It was dark outside, and the neon lights from the strip danced across the face that lay on the pillow next to hers. Arius's face. Did you sleep well? he asked. Yes, she said, not daring to move beneath his tender touch. What time is it? It's late, he said. I didn't want to wake you. You looked like you needed the sleep. He ran his fingers along her collarbone. Do you mind if I touch you like this? She shook her head as tingling raced down her neck and chest. I don't mind. What about this? He whispered and gently kissed each eyelid. No, she muttered, barely able to speak. He brushed his lips down her cheek to the corner of her mouth and whispered, Or this? Ah, oh, she said. I mean, I don't mind. Or oh, this? 
so close his lips brushed hers as he spoke. Electricity washed her body, and she gripped the blanket beneath her. I've ached to touch you like this since we first met, Andy, he said. You have? she whispered. Yes. Does that surprise you? But I'm nobody, and you're... you're... He gazed at her, stroking her cheek. You're more than that to me. Much more. Then he leaned forward and kissed her lips. His kiss was strong and gentle and tasted of caramel custard. With one hand, she twisted her fingers through his silky, thick hair, the hair that she'd thought about touching a thousand times since she'd met him. With the other, she traced the soft skin on the back of his neck and came across the brand mark, raised like puff paint. It had precise, smooth edges. He smelled like pinion trees after a rain, and she lost herself in his scent, the weight of him, and his touch. As they kissed, he rested a hand on her shoulder and gently shook it. The more they kissed, the stronger the shaking grew, until Andy pulled back and said, What? What is it? Arius opened his eyes. They glowed round and yellow in the dark, and a deep growl chuttered in his throat. Andy gasped. Then claws pierced her shoulders, and pain shot down her back. When it all first started, it slowly filled my veins I grew cold to the touch, not knowing that I changed Each step felt like a ton, thoughts shooting up my brain I knew it was too late, when the magnets turned to chains Music drew me in, you told me how to When I open my eyes, I light the fuse 
sun hits the screen still frozen. 